find our people, to find this place that we can say, yes, these are my people, this is where I belong. And sometimes because our hopes are the highest, the hurt is the deepest. Um, Because you have so much hope when you come to a church, and then all of a sudden, when we're disappointed, we feel deeply hurt. And so last week, we spent a little bit of time saying, well, what... How do, we, how do we sort through this question? What is the church? And we said, well, let's reframe the question and say, who is church? Who is the church? And then we said, well, actually, we need to zoom further out than that. We, we can't just start by saying, who is church? We have to start by saying, who is Jesus? The theologian Jürgen Moltmann said, the church's first word is not church, but Christ. What he means by that is we define ourselves not by ourselves, but by who Jesus is. And so we had this whole series of questions that we had on the screen. We said, who is Jesus? What is salvation? Who is church? And then what is mission? And we went through these list of questions and said, you know what? There's actually a very uh, um, contemporary way of answering these questions that is also a little bit problematic. And so I, I, I gave you a few examples that went something like this. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. He's my itty-bitty private, put-on-the-dashboard, hula-hoop Jesus, you know, that, that, that is just my personal private Lord. He's, it's my opinion. He's my personal Lord. And then salvation sort of becomes just the forgiveness of sins. Now, certainly salvation includes that, but when you only see it as salvation of, oh, forgiveness of sins, what then begins to happen is you think of salvation as a get-out-of-hell card and a get-into-heaven passport or ticket. And so then all of a sudden you've got this very privatized, individualistic view of Jesus and salvation, and it's about me not going to that place, but going instead to this place which was the reason why as a child I got saved many, many times. Because I didn't want to go to that place. I even had a... But then when you say, okay, so then what is, what is church? Well, in this scenario, in this paradigm of answering the questions, if Jesus is my personal Lord and salvation is just my passport into heaven or, or, or ticket out of hell, then the church is just a collection of saved individuals kind of waiting in the meantime. That would be saying it passively. Maybe to say it with a little more urgency would be to say, well, the church is the lifeboat because the world is the sinking ship. And it so happened that when I said this example last week, it was the 101st anniversary of the Titanic sinking. And, you know, anyway, maybe not the 100. Anyway, so, so there you have it with, with that little trivia. But, but there was this way of thinking about the world as a sinking ship and therefore the church as the lifeboat or the rescue mission. And so I even had... I even had youth pastors, and this is going to sound bizarre to you, it sounds bizarre as I was thinking about it this morning, but I even had youth pastors that said, okay, listen guys, why didn't we just line you up after you received Jesus into your heart and execute you right away? Extremely morbid thing for a youth pastor to say to a 14-year-old, you know, uh, but I remember it, and he was, he was trying to build the case that the only reason you're here is to individually be a witness and to get as many people as you can into this lifeboat out of the sinking ship. And so, naturally, I grew up with this sense of guilt about mission, that mission then is this panic thing that we've got to do it. And so, when I would go to the barbershop to get a haircut, if I didn't lead him to Christ by the end of my haircut, I would, I, the, I, you laugh, I went home in tears. Because I thought, oh God, I didn't witness to this guy. His blood is on my hands. And this is a, it's, it's a rather, it, it's not, you know, it's, it sort of sounds comical because we feel like 
as the 21st century church, we've, we've grown up past that, but we still have a version of that thinking. You know where it shows up today is it shows up in church believing that they are somehow God's sales and marketing team. And so then we sort of say things like, well, church, if our goal of church is to recruit, then we'll do anything, everything and anything that we need to do to get people into the door. So there are churches all across the country that on Easter Sunday do door prizes like iPad giveaways and all that. I know, some of you are like, dude, what's wrong with that? <laughs> there are churches that, that, that on Easter will start a series on sex because they want to bring as many people into the room as they can. Because this is, as long as we get them in, we're God's sales and marketing team. So as clever as we need to be, let's just get them in and then we'll bait and switch them. And then all of a sudden, their consumeristic impulses that we have pandered to, we can somehow change and call them into real discipleship. Let me know how that works out. But if you believe this paradigm of Jesus' personal Savior, salvations get out of hell, church then must be this sort of frenetic sales and marketing team. And then mission takes on that tone as just an extension of that. But last week, it'd be pretty important for you to either check out uh, the downtown blog where the sermon notes are, and there's links to a longer essay that I wrote about all this and links to the podcast as well. But last week we said, you know what, if we go through the book of Acts, we might find a different set of answers to these questions. We would find them saying, who is Jesus? Jesus is both Lord and Christ, which is shorthand for saying the sovereign one and the saving one. We talked about that famous Leslie Newbigin saying that the, the, the gospel is not a private opinion, but a public truth. That Jesus' lordship is not just my personal lordship, it's this cosmic lordship. He is the sovereign over creation and over the nations, and he's the only saving one from our guilt, from our sin, but everything else as well. And so then we said from this wide angle lens, we said, okay, so then what is salvation? If that's who Jesus is, what is salvation? We said, look, Peter unpacked this in Acts 3 where he says, look, the time is coming where Jesus will bring about the restoration of all things. And so we said, well, maybe salvation is God working within His world to rescue and redeem it, to put it all back together again. And yes, our forgiveness of sins, and yes, our own relationship with God is the centerpiece of that. That's where it starts. Because when God assesses the question of what's wrong with the world, He doesn't start with situations of hunger or poverty or war. He starts with the evil in human heart. But you see, the problem is, for all of us as evangelicals, is it's, we get the right place to start. We get it, that it starts with the evil in human hearts. But too often, we, that's where we stop. And, and the, the, for the apostles, the vision of salvation didn't stop with getting the human heart right. That's where it started, and it extended on into a vision of restoration, of creation, of peacemaking among the nations. All of, it's, a, it's a breathtaking vision of restoration and renewal. And then we said, okay, well then who is the church? And we said, well, the church is a kingdom community. And we talked about, we said, okay, well, how, what does that mean? And we said, okay, look, if you stress the kingdom part, we'd say we're an alternate society. We live now as if Jesus is king and the world kind of scratches their head at us. And we say, yeah, I know, it's strange. And if you stress the community part, you'd say we are a covenant people because God has never saved the collection of individuals God has always saved a people. That's significant, church. 
Because when you come together, when you gather together, you're reminding yourself that you're not just a Jesus and me person who happens to get uh, together with other Jesus and me people, but we're a community that's being formed. Along with this, we unpack the C.S. Lewis thing of the difference between a collective and a community. Do you remember this? A collective is what sort of you know, social planning does, where it says everybody that's of the same income, the same, uh, you know, whatever, let's group them together. This is really what, <laughs> what brought about the suburbs. That everybody who sort of makes the same amount of money, you live here and then here and then here. Where else old urban planning and even the new urbanism is this idea of saying everybody belongs together. And the church actually is that vision. Because what marks us is not that we all... Um, cheer for the same sports teams or have the same sort of you know standard of living or anything like that but what marks this is that jesus calls us a family jesus places us together and says you're a community you are a family and so we talked all about this and we said okay so then so then you know this idea of the people of god that all of a sudden identity trumps activity Who we are as the people of God has always got to sort of form us. We don't find ourselves as we are busy doing other things. We understand what it means to be the people of God as we gather around the table. That was last week. This week now we want to say, all right, so so what is mission? I mean, isn't there a mission? Isn't there a part of being the church that is about mission? You're absolutely right, there is. If we were to put it all together, maybe we would say if the church is a kingdom community formed by the Spirit, we would say then our mission is we've been sent into the world bearing witness in word and in deed that Jesus is King. We put this whole sentence together and we said the church, who's the church? The church is a kingdom community. Yeah, you can skip that one, sorry. Yep, yep, there it is. Formed by the Spirit, bearing witness in word and deed that Jesus is King. And in one sentence, the next slide here, the church is a kingdom community formed by the Spirit, bearing witness in word and deed that Jesus is King. I want us this morning to kind of take these phrases bit by bit and sort of try to kind of unpack this a little bit. Sent into the world. What does it mean to say that the church is sent into the world? The church, of course, are the people who are called out of the world, and yet Jesus says, I'm sending you back into it. You know what I think is so interesting is in our Old Testament reading this morning, God is speaking to Moses out of this bush that is on fire and yet not being burned up, right? And God says, look, I've heard the cries of my people, and I am coming down to rescue them. And Moses is thinking, this is going to be awesome. Like, what does it look like when God comes down? What does it look like when the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob comes down to finally take action? I mean, oh my gosh, like no movie can compare with this scene, right? (laughs) I myself, he says, am coming down to rescue them. Moses is thinking at this point, yes, give it to him. And then a few moments later, Yahweh says, and so I am sending you to rescue them. (laughs) Say what? You said you were coming down. Like, I got excited about that, but sending me, like, Lord, oh, Lord. Remember, I, I, I can barely talk. I stutter. I'm sort of the shepherd guy. I, I, what? And isn't that exactly how we feel? 
And we pray so many times, Lord Jesus, would you come down? Would you do something about this? Lord, would you please? And he says, yes, I am coming to bring my kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. And you're like, yes. Yes, second coming, baby. Here we go. And he says, no, no, no. Actually, I'm on the throne right now. And the, ones I'm, the way I come down is through you. Uh, <laughs> have you seen us, Lord? I mean, we're kind of we're messed up. We don't have it all together. Like We've sort of misrepresented ourselves in the world. We don't know how to speak, quote-unquote. We often misspeak. We say things and it sounds overly this way or overly that way or takes on these tones. We, we don't know how to speak. And God says, yes, 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 but I'm sending you, your sense into the world. What if you began to think of New Life Downtown as a community that is being sent into Colorado Springs, being sent into the world, instead of saying, well, yeah, here we are, we gather, I mean, I don't know, we're just, but what if we believed that we have been sent? Last week we said, look, our identity gets formed at the communion table, at the Lord's table. This is where we learn to be a family because Jesus even ate with Judas and Peter. Jesus ate with deniers and betrayers. And so even in our family, we learn to sort of become this community together. But you know what else we learn at the, at the Lord's table? That we become like the bread and the wine. That we become the ones who are blessed and broken and given for the life of the world. So to say that the church is a people that are sent into the world is to believe that when we bless the bread and break it and give it, we are seeing Jesus being given to us, but we're also this is also how we understand our calling. We say, Lord, that's me in your hands now. Because I am in Christ and you were blessed and broken and given, so I, my life, all of us together as a people, we have been blessed, we are being broken, we are being given. Just as an aside here on that, I think that oftentimes our brokenness leads to our givenness. What I mean by that is this. The very places in your life where you think there's no way God can use me because of dot, 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 that dot, dot, dot is actually the way that you can be given to bless someone else. Did you know that? Very often that's the case that in the midst of your own sort of pain and, and thing, that's the very place that God says, yeah, out of that is what I'm going to actually use to give you to bless someone else. That it is your very unqualifiedness that qualifies you by God's grace to be a blessing to someone else. We're reading this book together, Surprised by Hope, and in it, N.C. Wright makes the, the, the beautiful progression of things. He says, look, even in the book of Romans our justification is a sign in advance of God's restoring justice. God setting us right will lead to God setting that right. So the church as a people, we're in the world, sent into the world as a living witness. Where the world says, is there a God and is He at work restoring all things? And we stand up and they say, oh, well look at these guys. It's pretty interesting how they visit prisons and pray for people. It's pretty interesting how they serve the homeless. It's pretty in- who are these people? They're people who have been set right 
and who believe this is what God is doing in the world. Amen? Sense into the world, the next phrase, bearing witness in word and deed that Jesus is King. You see, it's a both and. Bearing witness in word and in deed. For a long time, really the better part of the last century, the church in America at least spent a long time squabbling about whether it was evangelism or justice. And so you had one set of churches that said they were, so, they were labeled with the so-called label the social gospel because they only care about feeding the poor and the hungry. And then you had the other group that was like the evangelicals that said, look, if they're, unless they're born again, nothing else matters. What I find is that in the New Testament, you don't really see that sort of division. Because Jesus says, if you bring a cup of cold water in my name. So all of a sudden, every action done in Jesus' name and every word announcing Jesus' reign both give witness to the kingdom. Let me say it again. Every action done in Jesus' name, every word spoken that Jesus reigns, both give witness to Jesus as King. Both of them do. Proclamation and demonstration. Action and announcement. Our New Testament reading was Acts 8 where Philip comes into the city and it says they, they heard what he said and they saw what he did and they was, there was great rejoicing in the city except for the demons. They were shrieking in the city. But everyone else was rejoicing. And Jesus in the Gospel reading when he sends them out two by two he says, look, heal the sick. Do this because the announcement of my reign is not just proclamation, but also demonstration. Go find the things that are broken and begin to set them right in my name. Go find the people whose lives are shattered or whose lives are in pieces. Go find the destitute. Go find the broken. Go find the weeping. Go find the poor. Go find those ones and announce to them that when Jesus is king, it looks like healing. It looks like wholeness. It looks like life. It looks like love. It looks like sacrifice. In the first century, to make an announcement about Caesar, um, you know, there was obviously no newspapers, no cable news, and certainly no Twitter. Dear God, how did we know the news before Twitter? And so the way to make an announcement about Caesar, about the reign was to have emissaries, royal heralds that would be in different parts of the empire and say, I've got good news. This new Caesar is king and in his name there is peace and in his name there is freedom and in his name there is salvation. The early apostles took this very image and said, look, that's who we are. We are emissaries. We are royal heralds. We are placed at different outposts of the kingdom announcing Jesus as king. But you know what else they would do? Is they would sometimes build these statues, these icons of the rulers so that different cities, different outposts of the empire could see a resemblance of Caesar. Now, it may be an embellished resemblance, you know, with a more chiseled face or whatever. But there were these things that would say, this is him, this is he. But do you know this idea of icons that give a picture of who the king is? It's quite, a, quite an old idea for all of us who think about Genesis, isn't it? And God said, let us make man and women in our image. Why? So that everywhere they go, the world knows what God is like. That's the original calling. 
And this calling is renewed in all of us, the church. We are the new humanity, Paul says in Ephesians 2. And so everywhere we go as the people of God, people are supposed to be able to look at us and say, that's what Jesus is like. And if that's what Jesus is like, then that's what God is like. And so all of a sudden we become pictures of Jesus to the world. So that the gospel becomes heard and seen. Now when you think of this, you say, well, Glenn, I... I, We sure have done a bad job of that. How's that supposed to work? You know, for all our awareness of the shortcomings of the church, there have also been some remarkable, remarkable periods of shining the light of Christ. You think of hospitals that are built all around the world, schools that are built all around the world, many by Catholic brothers and sisters. Growing up in Malaysia, the schools that my sister and I went to were built by Portuguese Catholic missionaries in the 1500s. Hospitals here, even in our own town, are named after different movements. Because it's the Jesus people (laughs) that go and spend themselves. It's the Jesus people that go and lay down themselves. There's a story from a letter from the last pagan emperor in Rome. Julian the Apostate he was called, probably retrospectively, right before Constantine. And he wrote a letter, and his phrase for the Christians was he would call them the Galileans, and this is what he said. He said, these impious Galileans not only feed their own. I mean, it'd be one thing if Christians just took care of their own. Not only feed their own, but ours also. Can you believe it? He's upset welcoming them with their agape. You know what their agape feast was? The love feast? The Lord's table. The Lord's table that was actually somewhat of a blend between the way we do communion here and the way you do dinner groups. Merge the two. That's why I keep saying New Life Downtown is going to be formed by the table. It's the Lord's table in here. It spills over into our tables during the week because this is how it was for the early believers. And so it says they would welcome them into their dinner groups, their Eucharistic dinner groups. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. (laughs) Whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans, or Christians, devote themselves to works of charity and by a display of false compassion have established and given effect to their pernicious errors. In other words, they've confirmed their teaching by their action. How about that? How about confirming our teaching by our action? See their love feasts and their tables spread for the indigent, the sick, the infirm, the the poor. Such practice is common among them and causes a contempt for our gods. That's remarkable. That's the vision I think the Lord Jesus puts before us today. What does it look like to be the kind of people that love each other so well, spills out into loving others in our city, spills beyond that, we're reaching into other countries, and someone's saying, what is with you guys? I know, it must be a colonial impulse. You just want to conquer the world. Colonialism is dead. We're not, this is not colonial. This is loving the poor in Jesus' name. There's kind of a cynicism now, a few decades later, about the missionary movements of the 20th century. I want to say to you, as someone who grew up in Asia and benefited from 
missionaries from the Portuguese in the 1500s, the Brits in the early 1900s, and Americans in, in my own childhood. There's an American missionary lady that had a profound impact on me. I want to say, don't let, don't let the shades of a, of a post-colonial guilt make you shrink back from the Jesus mandate to go into all the world. Don't let it happen. Because the church is not the church if we have not been sent into the world to bear witness in word and deed that Jesus is King. That's who we are. We're not about to shrink back. That doesn't mean we're obnoxious voices. It doesn't mean we're noisy picketers. It means we actually probably could do better to think about this way of loving, this way of welcoming, this way of bringing them in. Not a way that goes out and confronts and argues, but a way that welcomes in. Think about that. The early Christians weren't going out and trying to pick fights and start, you know, wars. The early Christians said, we've got this love feast where we share food together and we remember our Lord. You want to come in? We're not going out to pick a fight. We're welcoming people into a feast. That's the vision of the church. We're always the one who speak, ones who speak in loving ways. In a world that's gone mad, the details of the Gosnell case are horrifying. We are the ones that speak for adoption. We're the ones that aren't just angry voices opposing, but we are the loving voices welcoming an, another way. Another way. A different way. That's what we do. I think it's right for Christians to be a voice at the table in our society. We ought to be. So long as we remember that we have another table that trumps all tables. And it's the tab- this table that we invite people into. I'm good with being a voice at that table, at the culture table, at society's table. We, we, we ought to have a voice there. We ought not mute ourselves. And yet... The thing at the center of our calling is to invite people to this table. Does that make sense, church? That's the picture. New Life has many local ministry opportunities. You'll hear Bobby Miklas, he's here this morning. Bobby, give us a wave. Bobby talks a lot about um, the Kids Hope Mentoring Program in town. Talks a lot about Royal Family Kids Camp where we take in foster kids for a week and begin to express a kind of warmth and hospitality that they've never known. But we also have a global mission. And listen, to the world, this sounds like the, just the most... Un- look, what? You're trying to do something in some other country? Why? <laughs> because this is what Jesus does. And so we used to have a, a little bit more of a scattershot approach where we try to do a little bit for lots of people. And we've gotten really good in the last few years, thanks to Rian. He's up at the main campus. He's our global missions guy. And we've focused in and we try to do a lot for, a fewer, for fewer groups. Our primary focus overseas is a country called Swaziland. Swaziland is an independent kingdom that's geographically lo- located within South Africa and, and, and bordering up to Mozambique. 
It's the highest rate of HIV infection in the world. Daily wages are atrocious. I took a team there last year, exactly a year ago actually, because New Life is in partnership with a ministry in town called Children's Hope Chest. And the goal is survive, then thrive, then succeed. It's a long-range plan. And I want, to, I want you to watch this morning two videos about this. One, as an overview of how the, the, the partnership works. And then the second one, and I guess, guys, you can play them back-to-back to make it easy. And then the second one, and Andrew, I don't know if you're prepared for the lights to go down and all that so we can see the video better. Uh, and then the second video is about sustainability because many of you know this, there is a way for helping to hurt and, and aid to create dependency. And so uh, there are some very uh, thoughtful steps being taken that make this uh, long-term sustainable. And so would you watch these two videos and then I'll come up again at the end of that. Amen. Several of us that went with, with me on this trip last year, we were there. We visited uh, those very farms. That guy, the South African guy that runs the operations on the ground, uh, Jumbo is his name, and uh, just an incredible guy. And, uh, and, and we, we sat with, with the children. I think one of the most beautiful things was to go and do home visits and visit the homes where in many cases you have elderly grandparents um, being asked now to raise five or six little kids because the generation in between has been decimated by disease. And um, it can feel overwhelming. You can feel like, well, what, you know, this, what does this matter? This is like a drop in the ocean. But see, as kingdom people, we don't think in terms of solving problems. We think, about, we think in terms of being signposts to the kingdom. Does that make sense? We don't think in terms of like, well, I've, how can I solve this problem completely? Because you may never solve the problem. But what we do is every act done in Jesus' name points to Jesus' reign. Every act done in Jesus' name points to Jesus' reign. I'll give you an example of this. We went to visit one of these homes and we were talking with them and it's literally mud huts. We're sitting outside it and Chris Burley, Chris, if you'd kind of stand and, and wave. Chris works for Children's Hope Chest. He's on our team. He'll have a table in the lobby. I'll say more about that in just a moment. But but Chris was sharing with, with the family, uh, the, the, you know, this elderly couple there, and he said, look, we're bringing some food to you, some, a bag of, of maize, you know, what the rest of the world calls corn, and, um, and, and some grain and some different supplies. And, and uh, he shared out of the story of Elijah and God feeding, you know, Elijah with the ravens. And, and we basically said to them, we said, maybe today we are God's ravens. We are a little sign to say to you that you are not forgotten. Uh, to say to you that God remembers you. And they just broke down and started crying and said, just today, through a translator, just today we were praying Psalm 23, praying that the Lord would be our shepherd, would take care of us. Another home that we visited and we were sharing with them, and the grandmother says, did you see that pot over there? She said, the pot, it's my, it's my job to clean the I tell my, my grandchildren, it's my job to clean the pots and keep them clean every, every day. It's God's job to fill them. And we show up and we say, all right, today he's filling them. It's, it's, not the, it's not the full answer, but it's a sign that points to something greater. And that's why we do this. We do this not because we think, oh, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we've got you. Look, we're going to do it strategically, thoughtfully out there. It, or there's more information about the way this, the, the thing funnels, everything funnels through sponsorship 
Our community is 86% sponsored. Is that right, Chris? And we thereabouts. And we'd like to take it up to 100%. We're, we're close. So that we can move beyond the survive phase and move into the thrive and succeed phase and all of that. So, so I want you to pray about that as we're coming to the table this morning. Because here's the thing. Don't we say the same thing as that grandma when we come to the table? Say, Lord, we prepare our hearts. Just as she was preparing her pots. We prepare our hearts. But it's you, Lord, who will fill them. So let's take a moment and be still before the Lord and say, God, would you fill us again with a new kind of love, with a new kind of grace, with a new kind of vision, a new picture of your work in the world. And let's just be still where we are and then we'll pray a prayer together out of the Psalms and then continue with our worship at the table.